0: Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income credit currency and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC Research
1: Team. Thank you for joining the FIC Focus podcast. This is a Macro Matters edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. We go off campus today to Bobby Martin. He is the co-head of fixed income investment specialists at UBS Asset Management. Bobby, thanks very much for coming on FIC Focus.
0: Thank you, Ira. Happy to be here.
1: So let's start just with the macro environment, right? So obviously fixed income markets care a lot about rates, care a lot about the economy. Um, how do you at UBS Asset Management and then you specifically think about the rate market right now and where we're headed for the next, you know, let's call it 12 to 18 months?
0: Yeah, I think it's important to think about a market that's now understanding the Fed is at a pivot point potentially in their monetary policy cycle. Uh, For us, it's instructive to think about um, the two elements of their dual mandate that inform their decision-making, that would be inflation and employment. On the inflation side, uh, it's clear that inflation is trending towards target, not quite there, still more more work to be done. Uh, We've had the most recent round of CPI and PPI recently, uh, and it was interesting to see the market reaction there. Uh, CPI, I would characterize as coming in a bit stickier than expectations, although market volatility and movement didn't react too much to it. Uh, PPI, on the other hand, has more or less returned to target around 2%. Um, What's interesting, I think, is um, the market knows the Fed prefers the PCE measure versus CPI, uh, in part because uh, CPI carries such a higher weight of shelter inflation, which tends to lag in terms of real-time measurement the rest of the index. Uh, So the market reacted favorably in terms of Fed expectations to PPI, uh, but more recently we've seen a little bit of evidence that the economy continues to be stronger than expected with retail sales most recently, Uh, and it's important to focus on the employment side, and that that may help inform what the Fed does. Employment, uh, the January release of nonfarm payrolls, it came in above expectations, uh, but was accompanied with downward revisions. Uh, to prior periods, so we often look at three-month moving average to get a feel for the trajectory. And I think it's clear it's still decelerating, although still at a pretty healthy average uh, around just under 200,000 per month. Unemployment rate still at 3.7%. When we look back to history, uh, the Fed has only cut rates with an unemployment rate below 4% just one time in its history. Uh, That would be, and that was a a point in time when inflation was below target pretty comfortably back in 2019. Um, The really kind of key thing we're looking at is that inflation is decelerating towards target. Average hourly earnings and incomes are decelerating as well, but not quite at the pace um, that inflation is overall. And that has a really positive effect for the consumer and consumption as real real household incomes are at pretty attractive levels and we think is what has prolonged this type of tight monetary policy over time. Let's talk. It talk translates a, to what we might. Oh, go ahead, yeah, listen. just
1: talk a little bit more about about that dynamic because it's something that I've brought up many times with, with customers because you have – this and and since you do corporate credit and spreads and things like that, I think it, you're you're a good person to speak with about that, because you still saw things like retail sales increase very significantly, and and the the GDP section of that, so the uh, what's called the retail sales control group, that rose by eight tenths of one percent in December, which you know blew away almost anyone's expectations. So talk about the a little bit about the dynamic between wages continuing to grow pretty nicely and this idea that like a lot of the survey measures are suggesting that we should be in the middle of a pretty pronounced slowdown but the consumer doesn't seem to care one way or the other what, you know, the ISM manufacturing survey says.
0: Yeah, I think the Fed sees that Powell in particular has highlighted wages as something that's remained above comfort and I think it's where if we think back to like market expectations a year ago Fed funds futures were implying rate cuts in the second half of 2023 for much of the year. And Powell was pretty adamant along the way uh, that wages and the the overall labor situation were not justifying, um, you know, the type of pricing that was in. And really Jackson Hole and and some of the economic data we saw around that point in time was a turning point. Uh, And it contributed in part to the, the surge higher in Treasury yields that we saw for the months of August through October. Um, we're still of the view that economic data and Fed expectations are the key drivers um, of of rates and rates expectations. Um, we're seeing something similar play out now uh, where the market once again is pricing in with Fed Fund Futures uh, cuts of up to six cuts for the course of 2024, and we're still grappling with what you're highlighting from a consumption perspective. Uh, versus survey expectations, that we do think the U.S. consumer is in better shape, um, in part given some of the real income factors we spoke about. But we also note that a lot of not just consumers but corporate borrowers refinanced at historically low interest rates. Um, and we think that overall from a leverage perspective, uh, consumers and corporations in the U.S. are actually in fairly decent shape, which is where some of this dislocation between expectations and what the Fed wants to do uh, are occurring as well.
1: So, then let's bring that a little bit to markets. So, you know, you, you laid out how maybe the economy is doing a little bit better than what the market's pricing for, which I wholeheartedly concur with, by the way. So, I, I, my view is is that we only get three interest rate cuts this year, not not the six that are being priced. Um, but, but what does that mean one way or the other for things like corporate credit, like investment-grade credit spreads or high-yield credit spreads, where Um, You know, they are there are some interest rate sensitive issuers out there and weighted average cost of capital. Like people have been talking about maturity walls and, and, you know, they're they're being um, more debt, and that it's going to really hurt the, um, the business sector. But like you just mentioned, a lot of debt has been termed out. So you actually don't have the same type of refinancing needs this year as you did, say, in 2018.
0: Yeah, I think corporate credit spreads have certainly uh, tightened, and we we saw them close the year 2023 at their tightest levels of the year. So valuations are less attractive. Um, To me, that's a signal that the market has come to a consensus around a soft landing scenario. So even though the the market's pricing in this fairly aggressive path of rate cuts, uh, there's also a belief that – and we're seeing it with corporate earnings as we go through the next cycle here – Um, that fundamentally uh, U.S. corporations are on very fairly stable footing. Uh, But fundamentals alone are not what necessarily drives corporate spreads. Uh, We look at things like technicals as well. Uh, And not surprisingly, we're seeing deceleration of new issuance at higher interest rates, but also really strong demand given the overall yield levels for credit. Uh, And we we see that reflected in uh, the net inflows into these sectors. So, um, at these yield levels, uh, and given kind of a soft landing base case, uh, it's not surprising that corporate spreads are near their tightest levels. Um, but carry really uh, yields and carry in fixed income markets really kind of give investors confidence uh, that they can hide some of the risks um, when investing, whether it be, you know, perhaps another repricing of Treasury yields higher. Or even a modest spread widening in a, in a soft landing scenario—that that could be a risk. You know, the carry story really has been a powerful driver of fixed income performance.
1: Yeah, yeah that that's very true, and you, and part of that carry performance is showed itself in the front end where you saw a significant amount of uh, of bank deposits flow out of banks. And that's one of the reasons why you had the blow ups uh, almost a year ago now. But in March of uh, 2023, when you when you had uh, uh, SVB and the like occur, one of the issues that um, that's happened is that you've seen trillions of dollars flow out of banks and into money market mutual funds. And um, I have heard from some investors and others disagree with this and so there's a real bifurcation out there that that money on this is money on the sidelines and that can find its way eventually into risk assets. I'm a little less sanguine about that because of where most of that money came from, right? Money usually doesn't go from a bank deposit uh, you know directly into into stocks right or or if it does it's relatively small but do you have a view on that and and is your view you know aligned more with the people who think that there's a lot of cash on the sideline that can go into you know corporate credit or equities or something like that or is it more that no that's just a, a different place that households are saving
0: Uh, I think this is a question I get very often from investors, particularly those in fixed income uh, opportunities that are considering the duration trade, Um, especially with the yield curve inverted right now. I think that's been really the uh, critical driver to why money markets have experienced such uh, an enormous amount of inflows. And the question I'm getting is, does it make sense to take the higher yields in the front end of the curve, um, or... Uh, just given where we are in the monetary policy cycle, the duration trade and then other risk assets, you know, is the time right for that? Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a cop-out answer and say it's a little bit of both. I think part of it is like, what are your needs with your investment? If you're looking for, uh, you know, cash or cash equivalents and then capital preservation, uh, it absolutely makes sense to continue to remain in the short end, particularly if our base case is right that uh, the fed's more likely going to be higher for longer, giving a soft landing scenario however um although there's yield give up going out the curve, um you know we look at uh the performance of fixed income markets following in the twelve months following a, a rate hiking cycle historically uh and typically um you know going out duration actually has a really strong potential return so Uh, What we tell investors is for those who are looking for risk opportunities, um, the duration trade does make a lot of sense, in our view, in the current market environment. Uh, And we're seeing that start to play out in in flows anecdotally on our side. Um, You know, investors are interested not only in the carry story, but potential capital gains if rates were to fall as well. To answer your kind of question more directly in terms of risk, I think investors are cautious Uh, in a slowing growth economy. And in the event, you know, the base case of soft landing doesn't play out. So we're not seeing extension of risk taking too much, but investors are looking for opportunities to not only capture yield, but to look for potential capital gain opportunities as well.
1: Great. So just circling back to the question about corporate uh, corporate credit then a little bit, because you laid out your view on the duration trade. I guess part of that then is what Part of the credit risk pr- spectrum and profile, do you see more attractive risk reward? So, is it more uh, in the high yield space, which you know oftentimes have strong short ratios, but some of the newer issues that have calls might get called away if you, you know, buy a five-year with a, a non-call two two years from now, if interest rates are a bit lower, you can wind up. Actually, losing your your that uh um that carry that you would get from that that high yield instrument, or would you be more an investment grade? Like, is there a relative value trade that you find appealing there, one way or the other?
0: We like both to some extent, um, so long as this kind of soft landing scenario plays out. But I think what we're really seeing demand and activity from from our clients is the IG credit space, and the reason for that is the broader IG corporate market. You know, it's an average, it's all investment grade rated credit. So for those that are concerned about a slowing growth environment, um the IG credit ratings should support performance to some extent if you're if you're wrong to the downside. Uh, but the average duration of that index is about seven years. So um, for those that do think rates will eventually decline in a Fed cutting scenario, um the capital gain opportunity from being in a longer duration asset like IG credit uh makes a lot of sense. On the high-yield side, you're more or less banking, and high-yield is all about defaults effectively. So what are the default expectations within that market? It's a lower-duration asset class, uh, but you're talking about yields around 8% right now in the U.S. high-yield market. Uh, in the event that um, high-yield spreads you know, remain fairly stable in a soft-landing-type scenario, carry alone in this market uh, will drive pretty attractive returns. So it's important to kind of monitor the overall health of uh, corporations in the U.S. as we progress through the cycle. But in a carry story, high yield does make a lot of sense in our view, too. Uh, but really, we're seeing most of the demand on the IG side, given that kind of duration element as well.
1: And then, finally, and you know, as we near, near the end here in the next five minutes or so, talk a little bit about any global opportunities you see. Anywhere um, in either emerging markets or even developed markets uh, internationally that you see as particularly compelling or suggest investors stay away from and and you know maybe part of that might wind up being currency related but if we even if we talk about on a hedged basis is there anywhere in the credit space that you find particularly appealing or uh, or, or you suggest that investors avoid
0: yeah we do like emerging markets in parts of Asia to some extent uh, again that's a that's a carry story as well um e m has a few things going for it. One is that they're more or less coming out of a mini default wave from the years you know twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two um We're seeing increased efforts from multilaterals to provide uh support to some of the the struggling sovereigns within the space. Something like China high yield within within the property space over there, the carry there is enormous, and I think there were a lot of market participants that looked for China as a recovery story a year ago. But the amount of fiscal support coming from China has been uh, maybe slower than anticipated. But to the extent that you do expect that recovery to have at some point happen at some point, um, the yields are quite compelling. Uh, we do think commodity prices uh, are likely to remain elevated for longer. Uh, and that should overall benefit uh, several emerging market nations as well uh, lastly though, this kind of long bull run for the u s dollar um, has you know weakened e m currencies. There could be opportunities within e m local markets uh, on expectations that the dollar eventually depreciates uh, but some of these higher carry currencies as well uh, that will see central banks start to loosen policy. you would expect Local yields to decline in those markets as well. The combination of declining local yields in EM and, and potentially a weaker dollar would paint a really nice prospect for EM local currency debt as well.
1: And then, as we end here, you know, last question is, you know, any risk factors that you are really concerned about right now within fixed income? You you laid out a reasonably benign environment. You know, there, there's not a lot of places that that you're. It sounds like you're particularly concerned about um but obviously there is the other side of that right whenever there's this opportunity, it's also the risk and you know one of the big risks that i always get asked about is supply of treasuries coming uh, coming out there's going to be another 1.8 1.9 trillion dollars of treasuries issued this year and then deficits seem to be really high but on the corporate side, you don't have the same amount of supply that you've had in, in, in the past in terms of net debt issuance. And gross debt might be pretty high, but, but net debt's not, not particularly high. So, you know, talk about what, what risk factors are worrying you the most. And it doesn't have to be supply, obviously. But is there anything that investors should be aware of when they're thinking about risk taking this year?
0: Yeah, from my view it's twofold. Uh the first is, you know, the easing of monetary policy and financial conditions could reaccelerate um not only inflation but growth and several Fed members have highlighted that given a, a market that's pricing in fairly aggressive cut expectations, a, a repricing of uh the Fed expectations could lead to, you know, another bout of treasury yields moving higher, um which would certainly Impact fixed income prospects, so that's that's one thing we're looking at, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if that were to happen in the near term, just given um, you know a first cut being priced in for the March time frame. I think the bigger concern would be a market that's coalesced around this soft landing scenario, which would be really positive for credit performance, uh, but a miss to the downside in terms of a hard landing, you know, a deeper recession, um, and a Fed that may not have their full toolkit at at their disposal uh, if inflation remains a little bit sticky. That would be concerning. I think you could see material spread widening uh, and then add in potential geopolitical risk. We're in an election year. Um, What is any kind of unexpected events or surprises on that side, and how does that impact uh, the performance of credit spreads? That kind of hard landing scenario, deeper recession, I would say is my biggest concern uh, as we look forward here.
1: Great. Well, that has been Bobby Martin. He is the co head of fixed income investment specialists at UBS Asset Management. Bobby, thanks very much for coming on FIC Focus.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: And thank you, listener, for listening. If you have any ideas for questions, topics, or guests that you'd like to hear on the show, please hit us up on the Bloomberg terminal. And until next time, be well.